0: The title of the message this morning is Miss Blessings from a Great God. We've been going through the book of Acts. I decided to take a week away from Acts because I wanted to do a little bit more study on that. And uh, so this is something that challenged me over the last week. And, uh, you know, for years I've said I'm not really a fan. Not saying there's anything wrong with them, but I'm not really a fan of megachurches. I'm just not. Um, I've had twice in my life an opportunity to just be the preaching pastor at a large church and both times I've turned it down, and uh, both people that asked me, I said, I'd split the church in the first year. And they said, well, why would you do that? And I said, because <laughs> it's too big. Um, I, you know, one church in Indiana, I said, you know, I, I see it 3, 400, and then, you know, they're running 1,200. I said, I think we make three churches out of this. Spread it to the corners of the city and, you know, multiply. And uh, he goes, yeah, I don't think that's going to work here. And I said, well, I'm not your guy. And then a little bit later, I had another one. So I, I, I go to this church, and, and my son really wants me to go to this church. I'm like, oh, those are great. I'll go to this church. So I'm not really a fan, but I decided to go, and I was going to make the best of it. But then all of a sudden, God just really hit me over the head, because they're singing this song, uh, and it, it, it's a 7-Eleven song, uh, seven words, 11 times, and 18 choruses. And, you know, as we kind of get in that habit once in a while that we try not to get into and all of a sudden, this phrase, Who am I to deny what my God can do? And they kept repeating it. You know, it was just words at first, just words. Who am I to deny what my God can do? Still just words, 7 you know, Actually, 10 words, 17 times. But who am I to deny what my God can do? And about the fifth time it said it, it's like, wow. It really stunned me. Because we have this in our mindset that if I were to ask you this question this morning, is there anything God cannot do? We'd in say what? Absolutely not. But here's where the great canyon that divides what we know God can do and what he's able to do and where we live in the middle of this valley is do we really believe God's going to do it? There's nothing God can't do, but do we really believe he's going to do it for Us. Anybody ever felt that way? I mean, information, right? Information wise, I know that there's nothing that God cannot do. I know that God can do anything that he chooses to do. There's nothing that is too great for God. But when it comes to me personally, I just don't have that kind of faith. I mean, if it's something I can foresee, if it's something that I think can work out, if it's something that I know on paper I can kind of see how it's going to go and see that it's going to work out in the end, then maybe I can trust God for that. But when it seems too big, when it seems like a mountain, it's like, oh, that's that's a, that's a different subject. And all of a sudden it hit me. It's like, man, how many times have I said, God, would you please, if it be your will, would you? And we kind of package that prayer in every kind of a way except for one that is based in faith. God, if you would, if if it's within your will, and we, of course, we want to pray within God's will, right? Because, I mean, we'd be selfish if we didn't. Anybody ever not prayed in God's will? I want this because this is what I want. But we're going to be really nice and say, God, if it be your will. We you know There's just certain things that we don't have to pray about. We know it's God's will. But we're going to kind of package it in a nice way that makes us feel a little bit spiritual. But really, we don't have faith. We really don't trust that God's going to do it. Because we can't see how it's going to work out. We don't see any way, shape, or form of this thing coming together. It's not going to come to fruition. And I just don't believe it's going to happen. And I start thinking about that. I think in the last 40 years, our church has talked about adding an addition on. For 40 years, we've talked about that. And for 40 years, we've had other options as a church to buy other properties that would meet our needs in a better way. But we came to the conclusion that, oh, no, is this too much money? We didn't even bother praying about it. We didn't even bother thinking it through and bringing it to the feet of Jesus because we just thought in our mind, it's too big of a deal. This is too much money. It can't be done. I'm just giving up before I even start. And we say, well, that's other churches. That's what they can do because they have more people and they got more money. I'm just telling you, God is able. If God is in it, you can't stop it unless you decide you don't want to see what God can do. That's where it stops when we decide that God is not big enough. And I'm sitting there thinking about all the things that we've been talking about over the last six, eight months. And, you know, we're talking about maybe doing the building program, and everyone says, why aren't you talking about it, Pastor? Why aren't you doing it? Because in the back of my mind, it's an overwhelming thing. It's a big thing. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, Man, we we got this project to take care of and finish. And I'm thinking, so I go to the deacons, I say, well, I think we ought to take care of this building before we talk about another building. And so we're talking about the ceiling getting done, and it was all full of holes and cracks. And, you know, God not only took care of it, but the company that did it said, we just want to gift it to you. It didn't even charge us. How big is God? I mean, think about that. Last week, someone said, hey, if you figure out what it's going to cost for the paint, we'll cover that. A couple months ago, someone said, we'll take care of the carpet. We already have the lights to go in. One by one, God is taking care of the needs that we have. Can you not see it? But when you look at it and say, well, we just need $50,000 for a renovation, you think, wow, that's just impossible. We don't have $50,000 laying around, right? Then all of a sudden, little by little, God begins to bring people to do each step of the way. And then I got to thinking, you know, we have tried, I'm not kidding you, for five months to get a quote for doors. The doors don't work half the summer because of the building shifts and the uneven platform of the doorway. It don't work. We've been trying to get quotes for five months. And every time someone comes, they say, give us a couple weeks or a couple months, we're a little bit behind, we're doing this. We're still waiting for quotes from five different companies. And someone says to me a couple months ago, do you think maybe God's not giving you new doors because he wants you to have another building? Yeah, I've kind of thought that way back in the back of my mind, but that's a huge thing, and that's overwhelming, and that's just too much money, and, well, we'll just take care of the little projects first. Anybody else think that way? Let's be honest. Quit y'all lying. You can repent later. We think when we can foresee it coming together... When we can see the outcome, the light at the end of the tunnel, then maybe we have faith that God can do something. But what about when the mile, the light, the light is two miles away? Now well, that's a little bit diff- more difficult to see the light, isn't it? But here's the deal. There is no amount of darkness that can hide light. God's going to do it. The light is there. And so I'm sitting there thinking as we're in that worship time in my son's church, who am I to deny what my God can do? It's like, wow, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I have faith for this, but this one just seems a little bit too difficult. So the question then becomes, if it's God's will, who's the one that's not exercising obedience? the one who says, I don't have faith that God can do it. And it really becomes a matter of disobedience. And I think for our church, for 40 years, God just said no. No, I don't think it's a matter of no. I think it's a matter of, will you trust me? Will you trust me to do what I'm going to do? Will you trust me to do what only I can do? I don't believe that God's going to give us a bunch of all-star givers that are going to be, oh, I'll give, I'll give $75,000, Pastor. Oh, I'll give 125 dollars I don't think that's how God works. I think God uses each and every one of us where we're at. So here's a couple questions. I want to ask a couple questions this morning before I get into the message, and I will get into the message. But hopefully we'll walk away with a resolve to take God at his word and see his hand at work in our lives. So here's a couple questions. Number one, when was the last time you heard God clearly speak to you, urging you to take a step in a specific direction? Say, well, does God do that? He absolutely does that. When's the last time? And I want you to think about this in your mind right now, where you're at in your seat. When's the last time you heard God speak to you? Take it one step further. Urging you to do something to take a direction in the direction he's wanting you to go. When's the last time you heard his voice speaking clearly to you to take a step in a specific direction to accomplish something for his glory? Say, well, I just don't hear it. That's a problem. Because here's the problem. Either, A, you don't know Jesus, because John 14 says, if I read God's word, he's going to teach and bring things to remembrance, whatsoever things I've taught you. Either you have the Holy Spirit in you to speak to you, or you don't. And if you're not hearing anything, the second possibility, either you don't know Jesus, or you're not spending time with him. I've used this illustration before. The bottom line is if I'm down in the basement, and my wife is in the far corner of the bedroom upstairs, and she says, hey, Kenny, I can't. I, I, can i hear no what do i have to do to hear my wife speak to me i have to get closer and sometimes we're not hearing god because we have too much distance between us and god we haven't taken time to read his word we haven't taken time to spend time with him we're too busy we got too many other things going on too many other projects he's not a priority i'll become closer to him later no the later never comes we need to get to where we are walking with God daily and so close to Him that it's no doubt that when He speaks to us, we listen and can hear. Here's the thing. John 10, you ought to read it sometime. He says, we're the sheep and He's the shepherd. And He says, in a stranger's voice, will they not what? Follow. How do you know you have to get close to Him? And when you get close to Him, you'll know that He's speaking to you. So when was the last time you heard God speak clearly to you, urging you to take a step in a specific direction? Number two, were you convinced it was God who was speaking to you? Maybe it was just a bad case of indigestion. I don't know. Maybe it was heartburn. But the reality is, are you clear it was God speaking to you? Because when God speaks, it will be clear. And number two, it's not going to be, he's not going to tell you to do anything that's contrary to Scripture. He'll never tell you to do something that is not congruent with Scripture. It will always align with Scripture. If it doesn't align with Scripture, you better check to see whether it's not from God. Number three, what if what God was asking you to do could affect many, many people? You ever thought about that? Your obedience or disobedience could have a great effect on those around you. Can you imagine God saying, I want you to, Go out and be my, be my witness, and I want you to be effective in sharing your story. I want you to, your story to have impact on others, and think of all the people it could have impact on if you would just do it. But I'm too shy. I really don't know what to say. I always get you know, shy around certain people, and, well, they, don't want, they won't believe what I have to say, and they're not going to agree with me, so I just, I just kind of keep my mouth shut and mind my own business. Cop out. I'm sorry, but it's a cop out. If you have a story, share it. But can you imagine just for a moment that if God were to urge you to take a step in a specific direction, it having an impact on those around you in a great, great way. Would that urge you to do it? Would it urge you to take that step? Uh, Number four, did you do what He urged you to do? I asked, when was the last time you heard Him speak? Has there been a time when He did it? But did you do it? Did you do what He urged you to do? What was the outcome? You say, well, I didn't do it. And that's kind of a problem too because that has its own set of consequences. Because to him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is according to James. So, and then if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not what? Psalm sixty-six, 18. He'll not hear me. So as soon as I choose to have sin in my life and I choose not to deal with it, so I choose to live in disobedience because I'm not going to do what God has asked me to do. And but but God, I want your blessing. And God says you can, prayers are going nowhere. You have sin that you've not dealt with. You have circumstances in your life that you're saying that are not that big a deal, and to me they're a big deal. And He says, if you regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So He says, so right off the bat, I'm not hearing from God, and God's not hearing from me because I have sin. That I'm just choosing not to deal with it. That's not my words. That's God's words. Psalm sixty six eighteen. Question five, would you have done it if there were no obstacles? I mean, what if what God asked you to do was really, really easy and there'd be no obstacles? Then would you do it? I would say, well, then it'd be easy, Pastor. Right. But there's always an obstacle. How many of you have ever noticed that? When God asks you to do something, I believe firmly, Satan doesn't want to go that, let that go unchallenged. Satan and his minions, there's only one Satan. He's not omnipresent like some of us think. Satan didn't make you do it. But he's got his demons. He's got his fallen angels with him. But the reality is, we want to blame everything on Satan, but, but the reality is, every time God asks us to do something, there's going to be challenges. Let me ask you a question. When, when Jesus sent the disciples out across the other way on, on the water, did he know there was going to be a storm? Of course he did. He's God. He knew there was going to be a storm, and yet he sent them out there. Well, that was certainly mean of him. No, maybe God was using the storm to teach them to trust them. Maybe God was using the storm to build character in their lives. Maybe God was using the storm for any number of reasons that we don't have to know or understand. But God's will is always right. So he sent them out knowing that they're going to face struggles. And oftentimes God sends us out knowing that we're going to face struggles, right? So we have a choice to make. Either we're going to obey or we're not. But would you have done it if there were no obstacles? In number six. Would you have done it if he had more faith? Would you have done it if he had more faith? I think one of the greatest disappointments that many of us could face one day is missed blessings from our great God. One of the greatest disappointments are going to be missed blessings from our great God. Because many of us, for one or several reasons, will forfeit the blessings because we don't have faith to trust God and to take Him at His word. Isn't that amazing that we are okay with okay? I think most Americans are just okay with being okay. How's life? It's okay. We're just kind of simply, easily, quickly satisfied. We don't really push for something more because it's good as good enough. And that's how we treat our Christian walk, our Christian life with God. Sometimes, it's just good enough. Oh, I pray a little bit. I go to church when it's convenient, and for the most part, I'm there. Oh, when there's a need, maybe I help out with it, maybe I don't. But we're okay with okay. It's almost the only culture that we're, that, that we're used to seeing where that's the norm. Okay is just okay. And unfortunately, that falls into our relationship with Jesus Christ, too, far too often. We're okay with it. Oh, we don't want to get too spiritual because then people think we're holier than thou. And we don't want to give too much because our family think we're nuts. We don't want to volunteer too often because then I won't have time to do my own thing. We kind of just give what's left over to God. And we miss the blessings of what God wants to really do in and through us because we're just satisfied with okay. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I see God doing some great things in other places, I'm like, I get jealous of that. because I, I mean, as exciting as it is for them, I want God to do it Here. I mean, it's great that God's doing something in Brazil, but I want to see it here. It's great that He's doing something over on the other side of Rochester, but I want to see it here in our church. Anybody else feel that way? I want to see God do it here. I want to hear stories of people getting saved here. I want to see stories of people getting baptized here. I want to see stories of people walking with Jesus and drawing closer to Him here. It's exciting when it happens everywhere else, but I want to see it here. I want to see this church filled with people of every ethnicity under the sun. I would love to see 10, 15, 20 different national groups here. Say, well, that's chaos. Well, yeah, it is. I ain't going to lie. It's chaos. But wouldn't it be cool to see? Because some of y'all are going to be greatly frustrated when you get to heaven and find out it's more than just Americans. You're going to get frustrated because they don't do things the same way you do them. It's kind of funny. Uh, I won't tell the story. Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Take your Bibles and turn to Numbers 13. I told you I'd get there eventually. I only have a half-page note, so we shouldn't be too long. Another half hour, 45 minutes. No. Think about this. God gives us opportunities every day of our life and we have, an opp- we have a choice as to how we're going to respond to them. And every choice has its own set of consequences. I want you to see what happened in Numbers 13. Talk about missed blessings from a great God. <laughs> Chapter 13, verse 1. I'm just going to read the story and we're going to draw out a few things and then we'll be through. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, "And The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Now, can you see something that is just glaringly obvious right there? He says, "I want you to go check out this land that I am what giving you In other words, the presupposition here is it's already yours I'm already <laughs> it's yours i'm getting it's like this let's let's put it in today's vernacular. Hey, Ken, I want you to go over to that Chevy dealership and I want you to check out all those you know the brand new twenty twenty three fully loaded Duramax. Leather interior, sunroof, 18 cameras going around the outside. It's $98,000. I want you to go check it out. It's going to be yours. <laughs> no. No, really. I want you to go check it out. I want you to look at the tires. I want you to look at the seats on the inside. I want you to check out the lumbar support in the, in the, in the seat. I want you to check out all the mirrors that go all the way around it. I want you to see the sunroof. I want you to go check it out. No. Okay, I can see it from a distance. It looks pretty cool. No, really, I want you to go get your, I want you to put your seat on on that seat. I want you to turn the key. I want you to start it. I want you to go for a ride because I'm giving it to you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, there's a big sticker on it. Sticker says $98,000. Not happening. That's what they did. I want you to go check it out. This is going to be yours. So, I'll skip all the, the selection process. Verse 3 says, Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. So they go through and they find all these different men who would become those who would go in and check out the land. But I want you to go down to verse 17. Chapter 13, verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south, and go up into the mountains, and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land, Now the time was the season of the first ripe groups. I mean, you get the picture, right? I want you to go check out that truck. I want you to sit in it. I want you to check out the mirrors and get them just right. I want you to put the thing in drive and drive it. I want you to just check it out because it's going to be yours. No, not going to happen. That's what they were told to do. Check out the land. See if those are great cities. See if those cities are walled. See if they're fortified. See, I just want you to see everything, because it's going to be yours one day. Verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wildernesses in as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, and descendants of Anak were, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt, and then they came to the valley of Eshcol. And they're cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. Think about that just for a moment. In your mind's eye, think of a big pole with a cluster of grapes that took two men to carry it on their shoulders walking through the valley. Can you imagine? I've only seen grapes that big one time it was near uh, West Virginia. Those things were like monsters. They are huge. But can you imagine a cluster of grapes stuck on a pole between two men carrying them up because it was that big? that plenteous i mean that's amazing it says in verse uh 23 it says they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs and the place was called the valley of eshcol because of the cluster which the men of israel cut down there and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days so for 40 days they were checking out the entire land they were looking at the ground to see whether it was fertile. They were looking at the cities. They were looking at the men of the city. They were looking at everything, and the fruit that they were told to bring back, they brought it back. Verse twenty-six. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and they brought back word to them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and told him and said. We went to the land where they sent us, and truly it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Stop right there. Don't look in Don't Don't read on. Just look up here just for a minute. It's like going down to that dealership. They took the phone out of their pocket, walked around this side. They walked around this side. Man, look at those 21-inch tires. Look at the leather seat. Look at that big screen in the center of the console. They're taking pictures of the entire thing. And then they brought it back and said, hey, check out this truck, man. Isn't it cool? Looking through 47 pictures that we just took with my iPhone. So cool. This truck is awesome. It's got everything. I mean, it's a mirror system. You can all go all the way around it. Even if you've got a trailer on you can see behind it. It's all satellite driven. It's got a sunroof. I mean, they're showing every picture there is to show of this vehicle. Well, are you going to buy it? Oh, no, no. There's, there's a sticker on the window. Look at this, verse 28, first word, nevertheless. I mean, this land is great. I mean, look at the fruit of it. I mean, it has everything we'd ever want. It is awesome. Nevertheless. Do you realize that every time God asks you to do something, there's going to be a nevertheless? I swear to you, every time God challenges you and urges you to take a step in a direction, there's going to be a Nevertheless. I mean, I want you to go to this, this country. Nevertheless, the tickets are going to be $1,800 a piece. Been there and done that? Nevertheless. I want you to go over here. Nevertheless, it's not going to be easy. There's always going to be a struggle. Do you think God knows about the struggle before you go? Yes or no? Of course he does. He's God. He knows all things. And just like the disciples that he sent across, he knows you're going to face them, but there's a reason why he's still sending you to go forward. To teach you, to mold you, to shape you, to, get, to increase your faith and your trust in Him. If you can do it all apart from Him, then what do you need Him for? Sounds logical, right? If I can do it apart from Him, what do I need Him for? He, gives us in a, he, put, he allows us to get in these situations where He protects us in an environment where He can teach us to depend on Him. God doesn't make mistakes. So nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And all the people were just all stirred up amongst themselves. I mean, yeah, we see the fruit, and we see the land, and we see the the walled cities. We see it all. It's all right there in front of us. Nevertheless, there's giants there. These walls are really, really fortified. Yeah, your point? Giants? Yeah, but what's your point? Remember verse 1? Send men to out the land that I am giving to you. See, there's a big disconnect between what God says He's going to do and what you believe He's going to do. I've lived in that disconnect before. Anyone else? I've seen what God is able to do. I just don't know that I trust him that he's going to do it. And we'll never get from one point to the other without taking the step. So he goes on here. Verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone has spies the land or gone has spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anna that came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so, we're, so we were in their sight. He said, we're just too small, and they're just way too big. I mean, the sticker on that vehicle is just way too high. Cannot be done. It's impossible. It's impossible when you don't trust God to do what he says he's going to do. Now, am I telling you guys going to go out and say buy you the truck? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there are times that God says, I want you to take a step of obedience and trust me. Don't worry about all the neverthelesses. They're always always going to be there. What I want you to do is just trust me. I know what I'm doing. I'm kind of putting these words in his mouth, but I've been doing this for a lot of years and I haven't made any mistakes yet. Do you trust them? But well, Look at chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Think about this. Were those cries of joy? What? No. Why were they crying? I mean, why? Think about that for a minute. They were weeping because they knew what could be but they didn't trust God to do what he said he was going to do. And that weeping turned into verse 2. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said, so first is all weeping because now I can't have what I want. What is so beautiful, what is so attractive, what is so needful for us. Because I don't trust God to do it. Now I'm going to start griping and complaining over it. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Really? You going to bring that up again? I mean, you remember the whole Egypt thing, right? He says, I've heard your cries by reason of your taskmasters. I know how they're whooping you. I know how they're beating you. I know how they're making you work in the hot sun all day. I know how they've enslaved you. I hear all your cries, and you're saying, God, deliver me. He finally delivers them. And it says, only if we had died back in Egypt. Really? how soon you forget how bad it was there how soon we forget how terrible those taskmasters were if only we had died or if only we had died in the wilderness why has the lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should come become victims would it not be better for us to return to egypt So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Why don't we just go back to where we came from? I know it was bad there, but it was probably better there than here. Really? I think oftentimes they wanted to look at what was easy in their sight. Unless we get too critical and judgmental of them, I think we're guilty of that too sometimes. Because we're willing to settle for what's easier. Because this looks too difficult. I think so often we're satisfied with what is because we don't have faith that God can do anything more. Anybody agree? Would it really have been better to go back to Egypt? No. But they just couldn't see what God had already said. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes. They were just so excited, weren't they? No. It's like we're missing the blessings of God. We're missing out on what God has for us we're missing out on what is better than what we've ever experienced before in our lives. Verse 7, And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And here's their challenge to all the children of Israel. Verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I mean, can you imagine standing before all the children of Israel and saying, You guys, come on, let's get it together here. God is for us. He'll be our protection. They have no protection. Their hand of God is off them. I know they're big, but that doesn't matter anymore. And they said, okay, we're with you. No. Verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. That's the thanks we get for encouraging you to do what God has asked us to do and to claim the promises He's already made to us. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. They went in for 40 days. What was the consequence of saying no to God? Forty years. Wow, what a trade. How many would rather have the 40 days versus the 40 years? Raise your hand. Right? So you never know what God's going to do until you take the step in obedience to do what he told you to do. And because they chose not to, they forfeited the blessing of God. I don't know about you, but I want God's blessing. But you don't get the blessings of God without obedience to God. Let me say that again. You cannot have the blessings of God without obedience to God. One is the consequence or the byproduct of the other. Not only about you, but once again, I don't know what all God has for our church. But who am I to deny what my God can do? Who am I to deny what God is able to do? Think about that. What is it that God wants to do? Think about. I've asked this question for twenty-five years, thirty years of preaching. What would happen if God would say, God, give me one person that I can reach out to. Give me one person that I can impact for the cause of Christ for eternity. Give me one person I can build a relationship with so I can invite them to the most important relationship. What would happen if I said, God, give me one person? What would happen to this place? You think God wouldn't answer that prayer? How many of you think God would answer that prayer if I prayed that faithfully? Amen. What would happen to this place? We wouldn't be able to seat everyone. I'm not saying that we you know the numbers are the game, end game. I'm not saying that I want omega uh, church. I don't. I'll tell you flat out right now I don't. But what I want to have is impact in this world that we live in. And we need to live with if and if if never before, we need to live with a sense of urgency now for the cause of Christ. But if you don't think God's going to do something, you won't be disappointed. I've shared that Many times in the past, I'll share it again. You'll hear it ten more times while I'm the pastor here. And God did, or Jesus did not many mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. It wasn't when Jesus went back to his hometown that he couldn't do something great. He was God in the flesh. He could do whatever he wanted, right? He was God in the flesh. He could do whatever he wanted. But he chose not to. Wasn't that just Jesus the son of joseph isn't that just the carpenter's son if you look at jesus as just another name on a piece of paper then i guess that's all he is to you but if you look at him as the son of god who came down to dwell upon man, earth as man to give his life to, as a ransom to show his power and his might if you'll trust that person. But they look at him and say, that's just Jesus. Isn't that just Joseph's son, the son of the carpenter? And said, so Jesus did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. If you don't expect Jesus to do a work in your life, you won't be disappointed. If you don't expect him to, he won't. But if, on the other hand, you claim his promise and do what he's asked you to do, you walk in obedience, God will bless. How do I know that? Luke 6:47 through 49 teaches that principle. It's a life principle that we all should live by. Real quickly, two foundations. Luke 6:47 through 49. Two men built a house. One built it on the sand, no foundation. The other one dug deep, laid it on rock, solid foundation. What's the picture? Storms of life come, hit both houses the same. One says he heard and did not do, and that disobedience brought destruction. The other one heard and did. He obeyed, and when the storms came, brought blessing. Life principle if you want God's blessing, you need to walk in obedience. That's all there's to it. And if you don't, well, the consequence of that is great. God says. I want you to go check out this land that I'm giving to you. <laughs> I know it's great, but now there's giants over there. Yeah, I know the giants, but but th- don't worry about the giants. I'm, this, this land is yours. Yeah, but there's big walls. The walls are thick. So you're going to trust God or not? I think we need to get back to the place that we're walking closely with Jesus. Where we're in his words. And he's talking to us. And we're listening to what he's saying. And when he asks us to do something, we respond in obedience. Knowing that when we do that, he'll bless that. Am I going to dictate or determine what the blessing is? No, that's not my prerogative. But I know this. I trust God enough that he's going to do what's good and right and best for me. Every time. And we have that choice to make every day in our lives. Either walk in obedience or don't. But don't expect God to bless if you're not willing to walk in obedience. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We ask that you would do in and through our lives, Lord, what only you can do through the Spirit's leading. And I ask your Father that you would help us to learn from this story. Because it's more than a story. It's life principles. Lord, Lord, where you've called us to walk in obedience. And Lord, every day we have choice to make as to whether or not we're going to do that. Lord, I pray that we would first get back to where we're hearing your voice. And if we're not, Father, Lord, help us to question that. To get back into your word. To get back into confessing our sins and repenting of our known sins, Father, Lord, so that we can hear your voice. And I ask your Father, God, that you would, Lord, each and every one of us, Lord, give us that desire to to hear you speak and to know what you have for us. Every day, Lord, to take a step closer with you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us remove all the excuses, all the distractions, all the justification for not doing it, all the rationalizations that would come up in our mind as to why we shouldn't shouldn't do or have to do something that you've asked us to do. God, help us to remove every excuse. And I pray, God, that you'd speak to every one of us, Lord. Beginning with me, Father. I pray, Lord, if there be anything in my life, Lord, that would distract me from walking in fellowship and obedience to you, Lord, I pray that you'd reveal it. God, in my own life, I pray though that, that you'd help me to draw closer to you so I can hear your voice more clearly, so that I can take steps of obedience, Father. But I pray that for every one of us in this room this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us, as only you can. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I ask that no one be looking around just for a moment. Each and every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. I don't know how God may be speaking to your heart or if he is, but if he is, what is he telling you to do? What needs to change in your life? What areas of obedience need to change? What things have God asked you to do that you've said no to? What excuses have you given God as to why you shouldn't have to do whatever it is that He's asked you to do? Maybe this morning you say, I just need to take a step of faith. Maybe I need to take God at His word. He's already shown you that you need to do something, but you're just choosing not to do it. I I don't know how God is speaking to you. You say, Pastor Ken, this morning God is challenging me to take a step of faith, to take a step in obedience. This morning, would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, in the front, in the back. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things that need to change. Yes, in the back. Yes, thank you. Yes, up here in the front. Yes, in the back. Thank you. I appreciate that. What is it that God may be speaking to you about? Maybe just start reading His Word. Maybe it's to start spending some time in prayer. Maybe it's to start sharing your story because of the impact that it could have on others. Maybe it's to live with a sense of urgency. Anyone else say, Pastor, God's speaking to me. Would you pray for me? Yes. Can I challenge those of you who have lifted your hand and your heart to the Lord this morning? Just take a moment and pray. To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So, Lord, forgive me for not doing whatever it is that you've asked me to do. You You and God know what that is. You and God know what that is. God, forgive me. God, give me boldness and courage to start doing it. I believe that God is going to give that to you. Acts 1 8 says, You shall receive power. 2 Timothy says, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. But he also says, Psalm 90, Psalm, uh, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Maybe there's some sin that needs to be repented of this morning some sin that needs to be confessed. Proverbs 28, He that covereth the matter shall not prosper. Maybe God's not answering your prayer because you've been busy covering sin. Only you and God know that. I don't. I don't need to know it, but God does. And here's the beauty. He says, If we repent of our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How is God speaking to you this morning? I challenge you just take a moment and pray. Talk with Jesus do business with God this morning. Let's all stand to our feet. Dear Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that even though the service may end, I pray that the invitation does it, Lord. And that you continue to work on behalf of those that need to make decisions this morning. I ask your Father, Lord, that you would grant courage and boldness, Lord, to those who need it to make changes. Give them the wherewithal, the faith, and the trust to take steps, Lord, that you've asked them to take, knowing that you'll be with them every step of the way. I ask, dear Father, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to every one of us in these areas of obedience, Lord, that we may see your hand of blessing. For us as a church, Father, I ask, God, that you would give us souls for our labor, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to live with a sense of urgency, Lord, to take you at your word, to take steps of faithfulness and obedience Lord, so that we may see the blessing of people becoming saved. People dedicating their lives to you, people walking into fellowship with you. Father, work in our hearts, Lord, to draw us closer. So, Lord, do in our lives what only you can do. And we ask God that you be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that you'd work in their lives. Lord, may they sense your presence and your hand at work in their lives. We pray this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.